This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. <laughs> Many of us here today are in a one-day retreat, sitting zazen through the day. Many of you in Zoom land are welcome to sit all day if you'd like, wherever you are, or even this moment right now. Since we're sitting today, I thought it would be a nice opportunity to talk about sitting today. It's inspiring to see the assembly sitting so upright and still through the morning up to this point. Maybe not so much needs to be said about the posture of zazen. Mainly we emphasize uh, sitting upright, whatever is happening with our, our lower body legs, we arrange them comfortably to sit for a while, comfortably as we can stably in order to support the upper body being, being upright. Stacking up our bones in empty space. Part of the reason for sitting upright is so that we're not fighting against the incessant force of gravity. If we're leaning a little bit, gravity starts pulling on us and, and we have to work hard to fight it and resist it, right? But if, and if we go the other, lean the other way, it starts to pull the other way. If we're leaning at all, um, gravity will not stop um, pulling on us, but but if we sit really just right upright, find that place where, uh, where gravity is, you could say, pulling equally from all directions, uh, there's no struggle needed. It's, it's uh, a beautiful discovery of the ancient Buddhas that uh, if we sit upright, it's actually the easiest way to sit for a while. One way to say it, they probably didn't say it in ancient times, is um, we don't have to fight gravity. The head, it's sitting on top of the shoulders, is a um, heavy object. It's full of weighty stuff. So um, because it's a heavy object, we also try to balance it just right there. If the head starts to lean, then again, it starts to start fighting gravity. So we're upright uh, and yet relaxed. One, one image I like for Zazen posture is like a, um, like a hay, not exactly a hay, 
scale, but like like sometimes it, and they'll tie it really tightly with a rope like that to hold it together. And it's so it's all kind of upright and tied tightly together. And once it's all upright and 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 um, aligned together, then like cutting the rope, and it just kind of goes, just kind of doesn't fall over. It just settles a little bit. It's still upright, but it's just uh, relaxed. We don't want to. We don't want to sit as if we're tied in a rope, but we want to not fall over either. And then there's this hand mudra, the dharma datu samadhi mudra. Dharma datu could be translated as like the cosmos or uh, the universe, but it's used in all kinds of ways. It can also um, refer to the space of awareness itself, Dhanagati. And Samadhi is one-pointed presence. So we could call it the cosmic mudra. Mudra means like we're sealing uh, the hands in this particular posture. So we're like, we're sealing the hands in the in the uh, one-pointedness of the whole cosmos, where we're sealing the hands in uh, the presence of space-like awareness. Okai Jōin in Japanese is Dharma Dati Samadhi Mudra. And we are um, if our foot is up on the thigh, we can rest it lightly on that foot. If the, uh, or if we're sitting in, in a chair or kneeling, I think it's like right on the tops of our thighs. If our, if our uh, feet are on the uh, mat, then, uh, then we can hold it here or we can use a little cushion to support this hand mudra, and it's circling the lower abdomen, the lower belly, this energy center of the body, the home of our breath, the home of prana, as they call in India, the, the subtle energy that's um, running through the body that can't quite be measured physically because it's subtle, but it's running through uh, invisible subtle channels throughout the body and it collects and resides in its home down here. And when we're, when we're um, anxious or worried or uh, obsessed with conceptual thoughts, the prana tends to like leave its home and starts kind of like um, running throughout the body into the extremities and particularly up into the head. 
starts circulating around the head. So um, to, to help us not get so caught up in conceptual thought, we can like let this prana energy, life energy flowing through the body, we can let it settle back into its home in the lower belly. My understanding is that in India, in ancient times, long before the Buddha, as I recall, uh, yogis were exploring this prana and trying to um, harmonize with it in meditation. And uh, to the east, or in China and Japan and so on, they call this prana chi. They still call it that. Now, these are like different systems, but they may be slightly different, but uh, I think they're kind of, it's the same thing they're talking about in these different cultures because it's a kind of reality. So in the Indian yogic traditions that they'll talk about breathing down here and letting the prana settle down here and in the, the Chinese and Japanese are uh, Qigong practices, they, they talk about the same thing, that the Qi settle in this lower belly that in the, in the Chinese systems is called the, the ocean of elixir. It's called the Ocean of Elixir, uh, and it's also called Magic Cinnabar Field. This is kind of Taoist alchemy kind of, but the, but the magical Cinnabar Field is a, um, is uh, in Chinese, um, Dan Tian. And in Japanese, uh, Tan Den. the ocean of elixir is uh, Kikai. So there's something about this area where we're letting the, uh, letting our breath settle. I know this can sound kind of esoteric, but in actual practice, it's just like letting everything settle down here in its home. I think it's helpful. We don't talk about this so much in Zen practice. If we're, if we're thinking a lot or we're, we're worried or um, not so settled, we, some, if we note our breath, it's often the breath is like in the upper lungs. But in Zazen, we can, we can let it settle. We're not forcing it to settle, but we're just by sitting still and noticing it, we can let it settle. We can we can aid the settling of the prana and the chi in the lower belly by um, by breathing down here, like like a ball of air in the lower belly that's expanding and contracting. Hopefully, when we find this, it actually is feels quite wonderful. It's a pleasant way to breathe. 
this should be enlivening and relaxing. The more we get used to the breath down here. And uh, once we have the body settled and relaxed and comfortable with the upright spine and letting the breath and the, the, the breath and the prana chi are not exactly the same, but they're so closely related that we can kind of train the prana and the chi down by breathing down here. And so while we're sitting, of course, we can, with our mind, follow the movements of the breath. During Zazen, there's various, um, various methods or practices we can do with the mind, um, but they all uh, involve an upright, relaxed posture and um, breathing down here. So maybe the one that's maybe most popular, most renowned in the Zen world these days is closely related to this. It's what the, the one meaning, the one practice of the mind during Zazen is to follow the, uh, the breath. Maybe it's, it's partly popular because it helps to um, helps to bring the energy down, which also when the energy's in its home down here, it helps the mind to settle. And the breath is always present and this is a key aspect of any type of method of zazen. It's always going to be in the present, um, engaging the present, devoted to the present experience. So in that way, it's a good one and it's a simple one. Following the breath and um, if the mind tends to wander off the breath because we're so used to thinking about other things, then uh, in addition to just feeling the movement of the breath, we can count the breath. Many ways to count it, but uh, one nice traditional one is uh, counting in sets of 10 on the out breath. Emphasizing the out breath. One. <laughs> Silently though. And slowly letting the breath, letting that, that beach ball belly expand all around and all front and back and sides as the breath naturally um, moves inward and when it's full and time for it to naturally uh, collapse we let it the breath leaves the beach ball and we count and counting on the out breath is nice because it's, it emphasizes this 
Oh, releasing, relaxing, out breath, letting everything go. Sometimes people say you can, you can, you can shake it up and try different things by counting on the in breath, but it has a little different feeling. And um, you can count the breath in sets of 10 for a long time. Meaning like for a period of zazen or for a lifetime. And the, and the general instruction is if you lose count, which is normal, uh, then you can just stop wherever you are and go back to one. And the one thing about counting, I think is really nice is um, it's especially good if the mind is really like not so settled and distracted. It gives very direct feedback of how far and often the mind is wandering. If we're not really counting, but we're just following the breath, the mind might miss maybe most breaths, but we don't necessarily even notice it. But if you're counting and you keep realizing that like, you can't get past one. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's like that. The mind's really active. Then, uh, of course, it's very humbling. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a nice reality check. Right? Like, okay, this is a one day right? <laughs> or one period. If it's been like that for you this morning, then uh, you're so fortunate that whole day to... Uh, keep practicing this and, and usually the mind settles. It's why we sit for a whole day or a whole week or a whole year. The mind naturally settles when we're not trying to do anything else. So uh, if you can count to 10, then um, you can count to 10 again count to 10 again, as many times as you like. You can, uh, can't go wrong with such a practice. It develops um, presence and calmness and settling the mind. But it's not the only option. One of infinite methods, what you can do with the mind in Zazen. Again, they're all about being present. And this is one that's especially good to start with. Counting the breath in sets of 10. And maybe sometimes I feel like if I can't get past one or three, then like maybe it's not so helpful to move on to some other method that because you know, it'll just get too murky and scattered. But, you know, there's no rules about this, but uh, sometimes I felt like if I count to 10 very nicely, I'm like, there's maybe little bits of thought coming in between the, the numbers, but um, not so much that it derails the counting. But it was really quite, you know, present with each number and we're enjoying the out breath of each number. Maybe one set of 10. I've heard one meditation expert teacher say, uh, um, if you're really developing concentration, Counting to 10 once is fine. Um, and it's good, you should always, even however concentrated you are, always start with that as a kind of check. But um, one set of 10 is fine, and then you can just follow the rest without counting. Others might say, count the whole time. There's 
infinite opinions and um, options here. Sometimes I've I've thought um, I've kind of set up the practice if I can count to ten three times, three sets of ten, like thirty breaths without losing a number. That's pretty present to then move on to something else, if if one likes to. Um, so that's that's uh, one thing we can do is we can count breath. We can follow the breath without counting. That might be one of the things after counting to 10, three times. There's um, just following breath without counting. It's a little easier for the mind to wander off because we don't have to keep track of exactly what number we're on. We might not notice the mind wandering. What do we mean by wandering? It just um, loses the attention on the breath. And it generally, what that means is that uh, the mind is engaging in thoughts about the past and the future. Sometimes it might just be engaging in thinking about the sound of the, of the air purifier. Like, that air purifier is kind of loud. <laughs> and still it is. <laughs> something like that. And in a way, that's less distracting because it's about the present experience, but it's still maybe kind of, we're thinking, we're wondering. If we start wondering, um, I wonder if we should turn that off. Or I wonder if we're right. And I think most thoughts, you can, you can check this out. You have a whole day to explore your mind. You can notice that if you're thinking during zazen, you've lost the present breath or the present experience. Notice if, you, if your thoughts are about the past and the future. And I would say, my experience is like, I have 99%, I think so. It might be distant future, distant past. It might be a little future, a little past. Probably not present. And uh, we need to think about the past and the future. Um, it's an amazing thing that us humans can do to plan our life and create good conditions for ourselves and others. But this miraculous gift of zazen, we don't actually need to. Maybe the doan has to a little bit like remember, oh, I should check the clock once in a while. At, um, Green Belt's Farms and Center, the Doan had, I don't know if they still have this or not, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. It was a timer with a flashing light. Do you still have that? The green light or something? Yellow. Yellow. Only the Doans who practice mindfulness remember the color of the Green Belt's light. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was a, it was a great thing. I don't know where you get them. Maybe we should do a bulk order. <laughs> because the nice thing about that is that Doan actually then doesn't have to think about checking the clock. That's the purpose of it. You put it kind of in your line of vision and you have a clock as a kind of backup maybe, but, um, but you just wait. It's kind of dark room. You wait for the flash. So it even helps the Doan to not have to think about the time. Uh, of course, we do think about the past and future, but 
What an amazing thing. One of the rare times we don't have to. Sleep is another one we don't have to. So we can count the breath, we can follow the breath in the present. And thoughts wander into the past and future, we can just return into the present. And uh, we can practice just sitting. Japanese shikan taza means just. Shikan means just. Ta means exclamation point. And za means sitting. So like just sitting. And there's many understandings of what this means, just sitting. And I would say all the understandings uh, mean just sitting. But the, what is just sitting it can be talked about in various ways. So uh, my late teacher in Japan, old Buddha, Tangen Harada Roshi, when talking about Shikantaza, in his um, kind of uh, broken English, he really didn't speak much English, but he could give very brief um, Shikantaza instructions, like in Dokusan. So um, sometimes he would say, numerous times, just as a reminder to, to just remember this. I can remember various Dokusan meetings with him where um, he would say, ah, in his, in his dramatic and emphatic kind of expressive way of speaking, he would say, Shikantaza. <laughs> Only point here. <laughs> so that's one description. <laughs> Just sitting, which is very close to um, this earlier discussion, right? About letting the letting the um, chi settle into the um, cinnabar feel the tandem. His teacher Tangan Roshi would often talk about breathing from the Tangan, um, walking from the Tangan, working from the Tangan, moving from the Tangan, speaking from the Tangan, and Shikantaza, just sitting. How do you practice just sitting? Only point here. Not necessarily following the breath here, but just let everything point to the lower belly. My living teacher, old Buddha Tenshin Roshi, sometimes says, Shikantaza, just sitting is to just be yourself. That was a transmission from his teacher, Shuyu Suzuki Roshi. 
kind of unusual. Sounds a lot different than only point here, right? Very different instruction for the same practice called just sitting. To just be yourself. It's an, uh, a subtle method called being yourself. What is our self? Who we truly are, be who we truly are. Our true nature is Buddha nature. So just, to just be yourself, just be Buddha nature. And if someone were to ask this patch-robed wayfarer, what is Shikantaza anyway? I would say, let spacious awareness host body and mind. Let spacious awareness host heaven and earth. I would say that this practice is not the same as only point here, and it's not different than point here. Not the same as just be yourself. It's not different than being oneself. Being present, all these uh, ways of practicing zazen are all about being present, uh, letting go of the, of the thinking mind that's so fascinated with past and future. And what do we find in the present? Ourselves. Another way of talking about ourself is spacious awareness. We might say, um, well, actually, in the present, what, what, am, what do I find right now? I find the sound of a distant airplane and the sound of the air purifier. I find um, the sight of assembly of Zen practitioners, and uh, I find some feeling in the shoulders and the belly. I those, that's what I find in the present. And if we keep exploring, well, what are all these experiences of sounds and sights and sensations in the present? Are they anything other than this spacious awareness? They seem like there's something other. It seems like there's a spacious or maybe even not so spacious awareness over, over here somewhere. Maybe it's like um, inside Kokyo's skull and it's like, trying to press out, but it's trapped by the skull. That's not a very spacious awareness. 
and then there's all this stuff like like the airplane way up there and the sound and the, and the site of the buddha and the altar way over there and, and the feeling in the belly way down there outside the skull but uh but awareness is not residing inside a skull. There's no experiential evidence for such a bizarre idea whatsoever. I don't even know if it feels that way. To me, it doesn't even feel that way. Even to say thoughts are happening in my head. If I look more closely, it doesn't seem to me that thoughts are happening in my head. So I don't know if this is like a modern um, American idea. It might be, I'm not sure about that. It might, or it might come from ancient times that other cultures also feel like thoughts are happening inside their skull, inside their head. This would be a nice um, research project for somebody trying to like pick it up. Um, let me know what the results are. I would be curious. But I often feel like, like I'm so like I'm so caught up in my head. It's like an English phrase. Maybe and maybe it has to do with this fact that I mentioned earlier. When we're kind of anxious or worried, we're means we're usually thinking about the future, sometimes the past, and our prana or chi kind of comes up. I did say that the prana and chi kind of comes up into the head area. Again, this prana and chi is not a physical substance. It's like, like liquid filling the brain or something, but it's it is energy in the head area. It has kind of um, movement and location, prana and chi. So maybe that's why sort of thinking out loud. Maybe that's why we say um, um, so caught up in my head means my prana is up in my head. But if, if someone were to ask, well, are your, is your head filled with thoughts? I'd say, yeah, it is. But, well, really? What makes you think that thoughts are happening in your head? I think it's this, it's this colloquial phrase in English. Um, I'm up in my head. It's like I'm thinking so much. I don't know where it came from. Another, another maybe probable thing besides this feeling of chi, like our head, we start to get a headache if we think too much. I think that's because the, the prana is getting too energetic up there. It's not that there's so many thoughts bouncing around inside the skull that it's like that the brain is getting um, hot from the, from the thoughts themselves. There's <laughs> maybe electrical activity in the brain connected with thought. But um, I think another reason we think this, that thoughts happen inside the skull, is that, um, is that uh, biology tells us that there's a brain inside the skull, and the brain has something to do with our thinking. So that's why I think that they didn't maybe have that idea in, in ancient times and other cultures, uh, it's a kind of a modern thing. We realize that the brain um, has something to do with our thinking. So that might be why it's this modern idea that thoughts are happening in the brain 
which is inside the head. I'm suggesting we can question these ideas. Experientially, if we look more closely, it seems to me like there are thoughts happening right now. Enables speech and enables listening. But uh, where are they happening? It seems to me like there's not some particular location that thoughts are happening. It's more like from the perspective of, uh, of space-like awareness, the thoughts are, do seem to be happening within this awareness. That's why we're aware of them. But the awareness itself is not, doesn't seem to be so located. And therefore the thoughts that are not physical entities are also not exactly located. You could just try as an experiment this, to imagine the thought that's happening right now being like up in the, in the corner of the zendo there. What if my thoughts, all our thoughts are collecting in this particular corner? That's a weird idea. It doesn't seem quite right either because it's not, that's a, just another location where these, if these thoughts were some physical thing, they'd have to have a location, but they're not. So it doesn't make sense, but I would say it's equally as strange an idea as if the thoughts are happening inside our skull head. I don't think they're located at all. We're so used to, because we have eyes and ears that are like tracking locations. We're so used to locatedness and everything has to have a location. So our thoughts must too, there they are. Yeah. But actually, um, The thoughts have a location. That's something we could explore through, through the day today. If thoughts are arising, where are they happening? Or could they just be happening in this unlocated space of awareness? Already there's a new relationship to thought. If we let, they, they feel less constricted and, and trapped, it seems to me that they're floating in this, in this space. Um, what about bodily sensations? That's a look. I mean, they seem like they're in a location. Feel some tension in the pit of my stomach, say. But from the perspective of just knowing this sensation, just awareness of the sensation, awareness of this location, but the awareness itself also has no location. Doesn't it seem? It's a little tricky here because we keep going back to the experience feels located, but the knowing of it, the awareness of this sensation is like space. It's um, expressing itself as some tension in a particular location, what feels like a location, and knowing the experiencing awareness of the, of the sensation is not really happening anywhere. That's a little harder experiment to you know, verify compared to the thoughts not happening anywhere. But we could explore this. Um, same thing with 
might be even a little bit harder now to go even further outside what we usually think of as the body and this location kind of near the head, like say, like the sound of the airplane. Where is the sound of the airplane happening? Well, we think that it's, that or the, there's a bird right now. We think that the bird is somewhere outside the zendo uh, and the sound is coming from outside the zendo because we've heard this kind of thing. We've heard this kind of thing and we've kind of related to um, our world of experience in this way. But uh, if we get more and more intimately present with this present being, the spacious awareness that is hosting every experience, then the sound of the bird, any sound, it's happening anywhere. The sound of this voice, is it happening like over here or is it happening in the space of awareness? Can we let the spacious awareness host thoughts and now host all our bodily sensations, host sounds? Even distant sounds of, of birds and airplanes. Can we practice just sitting in this spirit of letting, letting spacious awareness that's always here. It's not something that we have to create. Is this present spacious awareness, letting it host sensations and sounds. I would propose that it's already hosting every experience, but we don't necessarily let it do its work because um, maybe it's more, I feel more comfortable and familiar letting the eardrum host the sound of the airplane. Or actually maybe letting that, we could go even further and say, really, I just like to let the airplane pilot Post the sound of the airplane. It's getting really far afield. From, you know, it's a, that's not our experience. We don't even know if there's a pilot in that airplane. <laughs> yeah. That's his total projection, right? We don't really even know if it's an airplane, but we're familiar with that kind of sound. But, but let's stay with our direct experience. Our actual experience is that, that this present awareness is is hosting the sound, I would propose. And we can let it do what it's already doing. Kind of get with the program, you could say. It's already happened. We might be, during Zazen, we might be looking at the corner of the floor and the wall. Because we say, um, Zazen, we leave our eyes open just a little bit which has some practical purposes, like it helps us from falling asleep. Um, but I think the main purpose really for like leaving eyes, just to open a little bit, we're not kind of staring, open a little bit, is so that we can run these experiments of seeing if the corner where the wall and the um, floor meet, 
is hosted by its present awareness. If we close our eyes, we can't, we can't check that out. But we're, if we're looking at something, we can start to wonder zazen, especially if we're looking at that same, that same wall spot all day long. We can start to explore, question deeply, question deeply and not theoretically, but experientially. Where is this site of the Zendo wall or floor happening? It's happening over there. Well, the floor, we might feel it's over there, but experientially, where is this experience of color and shape happening? Then we go to, then we go to um, modern biology or something. Inside the skull. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's an idea. Not a bad idea, but just it's not our direct experience, right? It's a, it's a conceptual story. Not a bad conceptual story, but it's not our, it doesn't feel the floor is happening inside our skull, does it? I don't think it feels like it's in, that's happening in our skull. But could it be if we really um, become intimate with this experiencing, could it be that um, maybe it does start to feel like the color and shape that we're looking at is hosted by its present awareness. Not to, and again, we can say, well, I've heard this kind of Buddhist idea and stuff, but apart from the idea, can we, can we kind of tap into the experiential flavor of um, this present experience? This is why it counts as Zazen practice because we're exploring not a theoretical idea about somewhere else, some other time, but we're experiencing this present experience, seeing and hearing bodily sensation and thoughts. Any, it kind of covers the general range of most experiences. We can put emotions on the list too and call it all inclusive. We can put all experiences into some combination of these sights, sounds. If we're eating, we got some taste, but most of Zazen we don't. If we got some incense, we got some smells, but mostly we're working with sounds, bodily sensations, thoughts, emotions, and a little bit of sight of the Zendo wall. Could it be that all of these experiences are happening in the space of present knowing awareness. Not somewhere else. We can explore experientially. And we could even call it Shikan Tazen. I don't mind calling it that. Some people might. If you mind calling it that, then you don't have to. And, uh, but any kind of just sitting, I think, means we're just fully engaged in the present experience. And um, we're not um, conceptually getting a bunch of conceptual thoughts going about stuff. This, 
right now there's all the conceptual thoughts going. It's, there's an explanation of the process, but this can happen in this very experiential way. You could say, well, it, why would we want to practice like this? And, you know, why not just um, keep following the breath, which sounds simpler than what Koki is talking about now. And that's one reason why we might want to follow the breath, because it sounds simpler. This practice that I'm talking about, I think, is not complicated, but I would say it's subtle. It's a good kind of practice to do if you have like a whole day you can just like hang out on a cushion. Then you might even might even enliven your eyes and like, like I can't stand another breath. <laughs> but I mean, all these practices are great. But this is one thing we could do in the present. It's kind of like while breathing. In fact, the breath, right, is a bodily sensation that's happening. When we're following, we're just attending to that bodily sensation. Now it's one of the experiences that we can um, notice and explore is this sensation of the breath happening down here as we sometimes talk about it. Or is it even more intimately, is it happening just in the space of knowing present awareness? And uh, one reason why it's, it might be nice to explore this sense of our ordinary present awareness being the host of every experience we could possibly have is um, as, we, as we warm up to this kind of little different perspective. It's a little, I'd say it's a little shift of perspective from sights and sounds and even sensations are happening out there. They're more like they're happening just unlocatedly really in the space of awareness. They're all happening here, they're all happening now. And um, it's a more intimate way of experiencing it, it feels like to me. And part of the implication here is that we can start to notice there isn't really the usual sense of separation. Separation is the sense that like, I'm over here, either located in this skin bag or in this skull, that's where I am. And you are over there. That's <laughs> called separation. And, uh, and I would propose it's inherently dissatisfying. Even when there's like, you're over there and I really like you over there. Um, and we're having a good time, you're over here, you're over there. It's still like, it's slightly, we don't notice how slightly this could be, but it's slightly painful just to have a, have a reality that's split into two parts when reality really isn't split into two parts. So this kind of, this kind of, um, letting the space of awareness host all experience is uh, there's less sense of um, me over here and you over there. It's more like we're all just, we're all, we, whatever we are, 
The appearances of you are happening in the space of awareness, the sounds of you, the thoughts of you, the sensations of you, they're all happening in this, in this unlocated, spacious awareness. And the same for you, so-called you, the experience of me is happening in your awareness. And let's say, that's a little painful if I have one awareness and you have one awareness, then we're still separate, right? But um, if we want to get really intimate exploring this kind of thing, we can start to question, well, where would be the dividing line between my awareness and your awareness? If they're space-like, that means there's no edges. That's what we mean by space-like. It's an all-encompassing awareness. And you can't have a bunch of overlapped spaces. <laughs> there's just one space we're talking about the outer space of the universe. There aren't a bunch of overlapped spaces. Could it be that our, our awareness is a shared space? That we will not find in, in most like physics or biology texts. So it might fly in the face of, of everything we usually think, but um, we could explore this in our direct experience. That would be kind of a culmination of the exploration. We could do it while just sitting, if it doesn't get too conceptual. This last piece is, is getting on the edge of like slightly conceptual, but we might start having a feeling, naturally start feeling like maybe we are just one space here, one shared space manifesting as lots of different colors and sounds and sensations and thoughts and bodies and cushions and candles and flowers. So that's a little a bit about Zazen. <laughs> Unless you, unless you might think that this is, um, that's not how I received Zazen instruction. <laughs> is, is this in accord with the ancestors of our lineage? Um, well, one really nice uh, Zazen instruction, there's many Zazen instructions. One nice one from um, one of our Soto ancestors in ancient China named Hongzhu. He has this poem that he calls Zazen Instruction. <laughs> Zazen Xin. Xin literally means something like acupuncture needle, but it was used in China to mean like instructions or admonitions or like pointers. So um, the old Zen teacher Hongzhu's Zazen Instruction Poetic Zazen instruction says something like, uh, the essential function of all Buddhas, the functional essence of all the Zen ancestors is knowing. It can also be translated accurately as awareness. This word means non-dual knowing, non-dual awareness. Nyana, 
in Sanskrit. Knowing without touching the things, because there are no things outside of the space that could be touched. Knowing without touching things, without contacting objects outside of awareness, because there aren't any. Knowing without touching things, illuminating without facing objects. That's hunger's zazen instructions. It's a method, you could say, for practicing zazen. It's, it's another way of saying this. That's it. I thought it was just a poetic expression, but it's actually called zazen instruction. <laughs> zazen is knowing a big, not, we're not talking about conceptual, intellectual, no, we're talking about just awareness, this kind of spacious knowing that cannot touch anything because there's nothing outside of itself. It is illuminating but without facing objects. Usually we think of our eyes are illuminating objects, but this is illuminating without facing objects because there aren't any objects outside of the illumination. And he finishes this Zazen instruction by saying, uh, the water poetically talking about the vast ocean is another name for space-like knowing. The water is clear right through to the very bottom. And a little fish swims lazily through it. What is this little fish? Maybe like the spot arises. Wow, what an interesting poem. That thought has, has little like fins and tail. And that thought, wow, what an interesting poem is lazily swimming through this bottomless ocean. A bird, or let's see, the sky is vast straight through to the edgeless horizon. The sky is boundless, and a bird flies through it far, far, far. I'm sorry I went on so long, and, and we can't have an extensive discussion about these points, but you can sign up for Dokusan if you'd like to talk one-on-one, -on -one. and um, we can keep talking about such things for such a long time <laughs> in such a noble assembly as this one, which there may be many more in such an autumn, in such a practice period. So I hope I wish you all such a day and and we meet again, thus. <laughs> <laughs>